you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 31 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Hey y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you so much for your prayers for me and my family, for my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. We are so, so thankful for your support. Unfortunately, it is quite common for many of us to see God the Father through the lens of our relationship with our earthly fathers. And in this audio version of chapter 7 of my book, New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ, I demonstrate how the scriptures call us to see God the Father through the lens of His Son, Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, and how doing so has been transformational in my faith journey. And if you've been blessed by this episode, I would encourage you to please check out my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith, and leave a review there. Also, my GoFundMe campaign is basically done. It's done. You guys have been so great in your generosity and your support, especially your prayers for this project. And please keep praying because uh, once the album is made, that's, that's hopefully just the beginning of God opening doors of ministry for me to share his message of the gospel with other people. So please pray toward that, uh, that end. Also, my book, New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ, can be found on Amazon. And again, if that's been a blessing to you, please leave a review there. That would be so helpful for me. Well, you can contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, or you can send me an email directly at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have any questions about this episode or about the scriptures, maybe an ethical dilemma, uh, please feel free to contact either me or BDK, and we will be sure to answer your question from a biblical point of view on that show, Ready With An Answer, which basically airs once a month on BDK's channel Omega Frequency and Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network. And finally, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can find on Scroll Publishing's website, scrollpublishing.com. All right, without any further ado, let's get episode 31 rolling. New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ, Chapter 7, Daddy Issues and Jesus. One of the earliest memories I have of my dad is of him reading me a bedtime story when I was four or five years old. After finishing the story and tucking me in, snug as a bug in a rug with only my head exposed, he kissed me on the forehead and passed gas. (laughs) At the time, I was disgusted. However, as an adult, 
I think it's absolutely hilarious. Back then, I swore I would never do such a thing to my children. But now, since Stephanie and I have adopted two beautiful siblings, I can totally see myself following in my father's footsteps. You know, starting a Baker family tradition. Stephanie thinks you should pray for me, and she therefore is clearly the better half in this relationship. Times, times were not always rosy in my house as a child. Like most families, we had some good times, but we also had some pretty difficult times. Unfortunately, my parents separated when I was in ninth grade. I still remember my reaction upon hearing the news. I asked my brother, who is two years older than me, what's going to happen at Christmas? Are we still going to get presents? Ah, the self-centered mind of an adolescent. Now, I wasn't completely sure why they separated, but in my mind, I placed the blame squarely on my father. Up until that point in my life, my main coping strategy had been to sleep. But then something more insidious began to emerge. Within that year, I began to skip school and get drunk regularly. By age 16, I was smoking cigarettes and marijuana as well. Basically, I exchanged one socially acceptable coping strategy, sleep, for several socially unacceptable strategies. Needless to say, none of them helped heal the anger I felt toward my father. They actually served to create more problems that I wanted to escape from. By the summer following my sophomore year of high school, I was well aware of my corrupted nature. Though I had been breaking God's moral law since childhood, I was now getting drunk on a semi-regular basis, and I had come dangerously close to needing my stomach pumped. Then, during a Young Life camp that summer, I heard the gospel message as if for the first time. I confessed and repented of my sins, believing Jesus, my Lord and Savior, the Son of God who came in the flesh, was crucified and rose from the dead on the third day. On September 15, 1996, I was re-baptized at my church. Today, I'm grateful for the abundance of believers there who impacted my life in a positive way, and I knew the new leadership at that church is doing wonderful things for the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, though, at that time, there were no discipling or mentoring programs in place to help people like me with this critical life transition. And the new wine of Christ that was poured into several of my old wineskins ended in a great mess. With no one to teach me how to follow Jesus, I soon fell back into destructive practices. After graduating high school, I fell into a deep depression and drug addiction. By the time I was 19, I was a total pothead. I wasted what would have been my sophomore year of college smoking marijuana every day, all day, instead of going to class. My GPA was completely in the toilet. Also, I'm an asthmatic who shouldn't have been around smoke every day, and I frequently had bouts of bronchitis, but I kept smoking even when the mucus I was coughing up was black and I was laboring to take a breath. I hated my life. I felt like a complete failure. 
I didn't think I was good at anything. I was constantly comparing myself to my brother and felt stupid, ugly, friendless, rejected by girls, talentless, and futureless. I wanted to die. So I began to plan my suicide, another act of escapism that does not achieve one's goal. Fortunately, God set up a divine appointment between me and the new youth minister at my church. That youth minister asked if I wanted to help lead worship for the youth praise band, even though I didn't know what that meant or entailed. I had been playing music in bars with my brother since I was 16, but I didn't understand the worship leading concept. Mike, my youth minister, began mentoring and teaching me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. However, I was still secretly struggling with hatred toward my father and my marijuana use. Eventually, a friend directed me to an intercessory prayer ministry at a different church, and they prayed for me for about an hour. I went there because I wanted prayer to help me stop smoking weed. I felt that was my main problem. But about 45 minutes into the prayer time, one of the believers asked if I hated my father. I was shocked, and I told her I did. Well, she gave me an analogy of a tree. She asked, if I were going to kill a tree, would I merely cut off the tree's branches? Of course not. I must go after the trunk. She then said that I should think of my drug issue as a branch and my hatred of my father as the trunk. She told me that Jesus said, if we forgive other people their sins, our Heavenly Father will forgive us our sins. But if we don't forgive other people's sins, our Heavenly Father won't forgive our sins. They prayed for about 10 to 15 more minutes and asked me to forgive my father. I played along, but in my heart, I refused. And I went home and kept right on smoking weed. Then I got sick again. So I set up another intercessory prayer meeting the next month. During that meeting, I asked God to forgive me of my hatred of my father, and I committed to apologize to him the next time I saw him and forgive him from my heart. So I called my dad and asked if we could go get lunch together. He came over to pick me up, and before we drove to the restaurant, I asked if I could tell him a few things. So I began by apologizing for harboring bitterness toward him, for saying so many rude things to him and behind his back, for being disobedient, and for the general disrespect and ingratitude I had shown him throughout my life. And then I forgave him for general ways I felt I had been wronged by him. It was the hardest conversation of my life. But all the bitterness left, and... We have had lunch every Thursday since. It is truly my favorite time of the week. My reconciliation with my father marked the beginning of my healing from addiction and birthed significant life change in me. And as a side note, my parents, who never divorced through those years, 
ended up reconciling and moving back in together. What a testimony of God's faithfulness. The prayer ministry also helped me see that my perception of my father had been shaping my perception of God. For more than two decades, I had perceived my father in a negative light, and that had led me to engage in behavior that was displeasing to my heavenly father. Basically, I was imposing the trust issues that I had with my earthly father on my heavenly father. I was filtering God through the lens of my perception of my dad. What I needed to determine was whether those feelings and filters were justifiable. Well, the first passage of scripture that helped burst the old wineskins I had concerning my God, concerning God as my heavenly father was James chapter one, verse 16 through 17. It says this, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. This simple message This simple passage was quite profound. I realized every good thing in my life was a gift from God the Father. My abilities to hear, to see, smell, touch, and taste were all gifts from God. The breath I just took, and that one, and that one, they were all gifts from God. The cognitive ability to understand this passage was a gift from God. The ability to make the money to afford a house with functioning air conditioning and heating systems, clean running water, electricity, and a non-leaking roof were gifts from my Heavenly Father. The ability to know and love God was a gift from God, as was the free will to reject Him. It's a difficult adjustment when one day you feel God has been holding out on you and the next you realize you're a spoiled brat. When I was a kid, I thought we were poor because I was comparing my family to the more wealthy families at my schools and especially to celebrities on television. So going to Swaziland, Africa in 2004 and seeing real poverty was eye-opening for me, to say the least. At that time, Swaziland had the highest percentage of citizens living with AIDS in the world. Yet, I encountered so many people who possessed grateful hearts. Their unshakable attitude of thanksgiving constantly rebuked my perception of the hand I had been dealt. It would prove to be the best month of my life. The week before I left Swaziland, I agreed to take a job as a student minister at a small Baptist church in a wealthy area of town. I would make $25,000 a year, which compared to my peers and with an undergraduate degree at the time, it was a small salary. However, compared to the rest of the world, I was living like a king. I remember hearing at that time that, 25, that, that the $25,000 I was making a year put me among the top 10% of richest people in the world. If I were making that same amount now, I would be among the top 2% richest people in the world. So how are your wineskins holding up?
Looking back, I realized my skewed perception of reality had produced an ungrateful heart that had led me to selfish ambitions and using other people to help me feel better about myself. I hadn't realized how much my Heavenly Father had blessed me, how He was going above and beyond in meeting my needs, and how much He loved me. As a result, there was a strong, self-centered, how-can-you-benefit-me attitude in virtually all my relationships. I hypocritically gave away my virginity, which God had helped mercifully helped me keep into my early 20s to a girl who was not the right match for me. And in committing that act, I not only sinned against God, but also against her, her future husband, and my future wife. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 through 8, I defrauded my brother, her future husband, by taking from him what in God's eyes belonged to him alone. And in doing so, I was not treating her the way I would have wanted any man to treat my future wife, Stephanie, before she and I met. And like a jerk, I did not love my neighbors as myself. During that relationship, I also alienated myself from my best friend, who, like my family, could see the red flags I was unwilling to acknowledge. He was the best friend I've ever had and the best friend I've ever lost. Interestingly, if you'd asked me during any of those times if I believed in God, I would have said, of of course I did. However, I had significant trust issues because if I had truly trusted God, I would have obeyed His voice rather than my own impulsive, egocentric thoughts. God desires that we not only profess believe in Him with our lips, but also demonstrate it with our lives. But thankfully, God has gone far beyond saying that He is good. As Psalm 119.68 says, He's gone far beyond saying that He is just faithful, and does no wrong, like Deuteronomy 32.4 says. And he's gone far beyond saying that he is love, as 1 John 4.8 says. Our, our Heavenly Father realized that lessons are more often caught than taught. So before the foundation of the world, he demonstrated his fullness to us in the only way possible for him to tabernacle with us. See, in 1 Timothy 6, we read that God the Father dwells in unapproachable light. And in Exodus 33, we find that no one can see his face and live. However, God desires communion with us and longs for us to experience his fullness. Therefore, God the Father sent his only begotten Son, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, the Word become flesh, so that we could better understand who He is and thus trust Him. So listen to these scriptures pertaining to Jesus' relationship with the Father. This is John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 and 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, John three sixteen and 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And now, John chapter 14, verses 7, 9 through 10, and 28. Jesus said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now finally, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, God, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Begotten is an interesting word that we do not often hear in our culture. Some translations explain the word by saying, one and only son, but that honestly does not help much. To begin to understand what it means that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, let me explain by using an analogy from the early church, remembering, of course, that all analogies will fail and fall short at some point. Well, for this analogy, the Son will represent God the Father, S-U-N, the Son will represent God the Father, and its light will represent Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. As long as the sun has been around, its light has emanated from it. The light of the sun is not greater than the sun itself, but it is coexistent with the sun. The light is not the source of the sun, but rather the sun is the source of the light. Neither is the light of the sun created by the sun but rather begotten of the Son. Jesus is the light, and that light reveals or glorifies the Son. He glorifies God. This is why the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. Jesus, the Word, who was God and who was with God from the beginning, was never, for, was never created. For by him all things 
were created. The eternally existing Logos of God was not created, but rather begotten. He is very God of the eternal one true God, and God is one. All these truths reveal why Jesus could say to Philip, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Those words can be life-changing for people like me who have grown up with trust issues. Maybe you've been hurt by a parent, so it's hard for you to trust in a God who calls himself a heavenly father. Maybe you've been hurt by Christians who call God their heavenly father, so it's difficult for you to become part of what you consider a dysfunctional family. Maybe you've read section of the Old Testament where you see God making laws or doing things that appear to be contradictory to one who calls himself slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Whatever the case, wherever you are, these passages you've just read call you to look at Jesus before you analyze God the Father. These passages state that if you want to understand what God the Father is like, you should study Jesus. So let me ask you, how do you feel about Jesus? Is he someone you feel you can trust? Personally, I can't think of anyone more trustworthy. And he is the exact representation of the Father's nature. The Apostle Paul wrote, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. And this passage does not imply that God forced Christ to die for us, but that Jesus willingly engaged in this selfless act. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. His joy was not found in experiencing the agony of the cross but in what would be accomplished through his humiliation, which is our reconciliation. Our deliverance from the domain of darkness brought Jesus Christ joy as he contemplated and endured the physical and spiritual torture of the cross. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he shows us God the Father. For nearly two decades, I believed I had a terrible earthly father, and thus a sketchy heavenly one. But how many people can say they had fathers who constantly told them they loved them, or had fathers who always provided new clothes for school, or had fathers who came to virtually all their sporting and musical events, or had fathers who played sports with them even if they did not particularly enjoy those sports, or had fathers who were separated from their wives but still managed to keep doing these things. Now, I, I could go on, but you get the idea. 
Perception is not always reality. The reality is, I am blessed to have the father I do. And I had a much better upbringing than millions of other people. Likewise, though I thought my heavenly father was untrustworthy, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, has demonstrated to us the complete character of God the Father, and He is good. He is worthy of us laying down our lives for Him, because He has already laid down His life for us. He is worthy of us surrendering all for, because He has already surrendered all for us. So, May you trust in Father God with all of your heart and not lean on your own perception. May you believe in the name of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and obey Him out of a deep love and respect for all He has already done for you. God bless you. Take my memories, take my fears, my dreams, at your feet, my God. Holy Spirit, move without hindrance through every part of me, my God. You're my potter and I'm your clay. Have your way, Lord, have your way You were the one, you were the one Who rescued me, yeah And showed me what it means to love, love You were the one, you were the one Who ransomed me with Price and power of your blood Take my words, my time Take all thoughts of mine I belong to you, my God Every square inch, Lord Is all rightly yours Jesus, you're my King, my God You're my potter and I'm your clay Have your way, Lord, have your way You are the one, you are the one Who rescued me, yeah And showed me what it means to love, love You are the one, you are the one Who ransomed me with Rise and power
Power of 